0: Our reading today is Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 28. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and he became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the, ch- the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sothinnes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut cut off at Senthre because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervour, and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is God's word.
1: Good morning, everyone. If we've not met, my name's Matt. It'd be uh, lovely to do so uh, a little after the service. But uh, if you are joining us, we're working our way through uh, this book of Acts. we come to chapter uh, 18. Yes, we've worked our way through um, uh, eventually here. Just this week and, and next week, we get to the end of uh, one of Luke's sections and we'll pause uh, then uh, for Easter. But um, we're in Acts 18. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, once again we turn to uh, your word and, and this book of Acts and its drumbeat that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is growing his kingdom and it's unstoppable, it will grow. So Father, despite the circumstances, perhaps of our own lives, circumstances as we look around the world, as we turn to your word, would you once again give us that confidence and therefore would we speak of you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have been here, uh, when we've looked, when we're going through the book of Acts, uh, hopefully you'd have picked up me saying repeatedly that the... The overall message of the book is that Jesus Christ is growing his kingdom and it's unstoppable. Uh, Luke tells us right at the very beginning, one of his gospel actually, I'm writing this so that you may have certainty, certainty about the things that you've uh, heard and said, and certainty that Jesus is growing his kingdom. That's really what it's about. And Certainly chapter 18 is fairly explicitly about that, but of course sometimes it's quite hard to believe. Uh, the church email that goes out to time out on Friday, all sorts of things in there. But if you get towards the bottom, and I hope you do, um, there's always something. Here's how to pray for the persecuted church this week, uh, Kaduna province in Nigeria, in the sort of central uh, region. Uh, And in January and February, probably 300 Christians, they estimate, killed. Uh, These numbers are always quite hard to, to pin down. And it's a slightly complicated scenario there because it's sort of fighting over land as much as uh, a religious. But it is a sort of Muslim herdsmen coming in and taking the lives, certainly wiping out whole villages there. And you think, well, wow. does not obvious that Jesus' kingdom is growing, certainly not for those people. Or um, some would have received... Uh, um, from the Churchham family here, our uh, mission partner, Stan, uh, as he goes out to um, uh, uh, the Middle Eastern region. Um, anyway, he was there last week and uh, sent back a little video. Uh, and, um, you know, a little, just fa- um, on his phone, he'd shot some things. And uh, it was very picturesque. But he said, amongst here, in this country, with whatever it is, 0.1%. Of the population believers he just made the comment the kingdom of jesus does not reign here not yet there are no churches here the kingdom of jesus doesn't reign here in central asia not yet but he will grow his kingdom and it's unstoppable And chapter 18 is just another account to give us encouragement, uh, confidence in that. You can certainly read it. One other thing I read this week about a a young woman named Manur. Manur is a 21-year-old Somali Muslim living in Sweden now. Her family um, was forced to flee there. Uh, And uh, she's a little behind in her education, so she's still just finishing secondary school. Um, But her classmate shared good news about Jesus with her. And it was interesting, I've never heard anything about this. So she decided she went home and, and bought a Bible, and for the first time in her life actually read the Koran, because she'd just never done that, uh, and um, became a Christian, and started telling her family, look, if you read these two books, you see there's, there's no love in the Koran. The Bible is all about Jesus, who, who loves us so much he'll die for us. You, you should become Christian. Now, this is it was fairly... Small, i mean it's often the case this somali muslim enclave in sweden fairly small and, and sort of protective fundamentalist so now she's loathed you know even relatives from overseas from the states are writing saying you have brought shame upon your family you must return uh, to islam and uh, uh, so her mother said, that this is a disgrace. You're bringing a disgrace on the family. Will you, will you meet with some people who need to persuade you that you're wrong? And uh, so she said, well, who do you want me to meet with? Why don't you meet with an imam, uh, a Hindu convert to Islam, and um, a, a, a sort of Swedish man who's converted to Islam as well? Why want not you meet all these men? And she said, all right, mom, I'll meet these three men as long as you come to church with me for the next two Sundays. Uh, and that was the deal they struck, and they did. And she met with these three, and um, she had read the Quran more than any of them. Uh, so she you, know, you just you know, have any of you read the bible no you, don't, you two don't know the imam knew the quran pretty well but the other two didn't um uh, you, you don't even know the quran it, no nonsense you, know, you just need to read them both and then you'll see that jesus is the one you should follow and uh, the imam is furious about this and she said, will you meet with me again well, only if you come to church with me next sunday um to which this is the disgrace upon the community he said all right i will and um, so apparently he's now going to church and he finds it quite interesting because he th- he's says, well, I need to go to church in order to speak to her, but it's slightly unclear. He might actually just be finding the whole thing quite interesting. Now, there's an encouraging story. And Manar is clearly a brave girl. And in one sense, the small heroine there is, well, the Swedish girl who shared her faith. Just don't even know her name but just very quietly spoke bravely to the Muslim girl in the seat next to her. In Acts 18, we're meant to take confidence that the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it will grow, and it'll grow as Christians speak. It will grow, and it'll do so as Christians speak. So take confidence. Uh, Four little things we're going to work through, the four little episodes in uh, verses 1 to 17, or the third one we'll spend most time on. So the the king, Jesus will grow his kingdom through persecution by the emperor, 1 to 4, through the conversion of surprising people, 5 to 8, through Paul's fearless speaking, 9 to 11, and through the ruling of a dubious judge, 12 to 17. As I say, the third we'll spend most time in. But let me just walk you through, uh, show you what's happening here. So first, Jesus will grow his kingdom, and he'll do so through... Persecution by the emperor. Chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens. Uh, Remember, he was in the the cultural capital of the region last week. But Athens, at the time, a fairly small city, about 10,000. And he went to to Corinth, big city, 750,000. Major city, Uh, capital city of this region, Achaia, very wealthy, big trading port. Uh, viewed as the most debauched city in the whole Roman Empire. To be Corinthian was to have a loose sexuality, but that's where Paul is headed. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who'd recently come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, that is the Emperor Claudius, I Claudius, for those of a certain generation, um, uh, Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, the Roman historian uh, Suetonius, who wrote to his History of the Emperors, uh, he describes this event uh, in his life of Claudius, or Clavdivs, uh, if you were, again, of a certain generation. But um, uh, because, yeah, it was quite a known event that at one point Claudius drove all the Jews out, as Suetonius said, because there was a debate about the, the, the person of Crestus, whether that means Christus, and he got it slightly wrong. In Greek, they sound more familiar. We don't know. But the actual event recorded here, that definitely happened. The emperor had had enough and drove all Jews out of Rome. Now, if I may, put yourself in the shoes, then, of this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. They ran a business in Rome of uh, leather workers, tent makers. So all tents were made of leather in those days. So there may be all sorts of things they made. But uh, they had a business in Rome. Rome, good place to have a business, you know, capital city, plenty of money there. They'd been, lived there for years. They perhaps had their children there. Perhaps became Christians there. Their family and friends were there. And then one day they're driven out. And from Rome to Corinth, well, it's a sort of distance from London to Vienna. You know, that's a long old journey they've got to make. Why Corinth? Perhaps they had family there. But that's their life. Gone as they're forced to flee to Corinth. And no doubt, if you're them as you arrive and have to start a new business in a city you don't know so well, you'd be asking, What was that, Lord? We've become Christians and, well, this is persecution. We have to flee Rome. What's all that? Now we've got to start all over again in Corinth. But they're there for a purpose. So they meet Paul, and uh, they support him in his ministry. He joins their little new business, so they can all fund themselves. Paul is able to uh, work part-time as a tent maker, uh, and at the rest of the time, he uh, engages in, verse 4, reasoning, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks to become Christians. So they're there to start a new church. Wasn't their plan. The emperor drove them to it. Not only that, of course, um, but uh, we're not going to really dwell on these verses, but just at the end of our reading today, verses 24 to 28, um, they meet a man called Apollos. Uh, they meet him when they're back in sort of Ephesus way, back in uh, back in Asia, uh, and um, they meet him and, and they instruct him in how to handle the Scriptures. Uh, and then Apollos says, verse 27, well, I want to go back to Corinth, to Achaia. Uh, and they say, oh, on you go then. And, you and Apollos becomes the sort of key Christian teacher in the city of Corinth. You read the letter of one Corinthians, he's clearly he had a massive influence. But it wouldn't have happened had he not met Priscilla and Aquila. So, Lord, why have we been forced out of our home where we've been for years in Rome? And the answer is well, I wanted to start a church in Corinth, says the Lord. So I provoked the emperor to dispatch you there. And because you were there, you met with Paul. He started the church with you. And then you trained up Apollos and he became the key man in Corinth. You needed to go there, Priscilla and Aquila. Oh, that's not a dialogue that actually took place, of course. But that's the reality. Unwittingly, the emperor in his luxury in Rome was the key instrument in the church being planted in Corinth. You and I wouldn't have done it that way. But Jesus will grow his kingdom. Sometimes it'll be through the persecution of an emperor. Sometimes things that we view as disastrous. Why has that happened? Why has that gone so wrong? Don't worry, says the Lord. Eventually you'll know. Eventually you'll see the purpose behind it. So there's the first Jesus will grow his kingdom. It'll happen despite persecution. The Lord will use these disasters to grow his kingdom. Second, that Jesus will grow his kingdom through the conversion of surprising people, verses five to eight. Now, verse five, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So it's obvious, particularly uh, you read the letter of two Corinthians, uh, uh, these guys, they arrive with a sack of money from the Macedonian churches. So Paul can now stop making tents half-time and give 100% of his time to preaching the gospel. That's what's going on. Great. So the Jews... Remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, Philippi, where Paul was beaten, imprisoned, driven out. Didn't look so good then. But anyway, the church is going great, and they've raised the money to fund his ministry in Corinth. Great. So what happens? Uh, Verse 6. But when they, particularly the synagogue, opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest. And said to them, "Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Sort of shaking out your clothes is a sort of metaphor. I, of, I wash my hands of you. You know, it's on your own heads now." He says to them, and he goes next door. Presumably, that was a little bit galling. You know, he's been in the synagogue for the last few weeks, and they say, "Get out." Okay, I'll go next door. Uh, perhaps a little bit galling, but clearly, this wealthy. He's got a, a Roman name, but there's a, a clearly a wealthy uh, chap, verse 7. Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titus, Justus, a worshipper of God. That is, he'd been a, a, a Roman believer in um, uh, a follower of uh, Judaism, but now he's become a Christian. Not only him, but verse 8, somewhat surprising, Crispus, the synagogue leader. And his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. So actually it's going, great, get out, they say at the synagogue. Okay, I'll go next door. Oh, and the leader, well, he'll be converted and he'll come with me. I mean, perhaps a little bit frustrating. It's great. And lots of people are becoming Christians. But do you see, in one sense, this church in Corinth, how it's growing, well, it's money from Philippi, no one was expecting that. There's a wealthy Roman guy has become a Christian. The, the, the synagogue leaders have become a Christian. I mean, none of these were Paul's plans but Jesus is building his kingdom. It's unstoppable. So he'll do so through the persecution by the emperor, through the conversion of surprising people, and then thirdly, through Paul's fearless speaking, verses 9 to 11. You get a little bit of context in um, uh, a little later when Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians uh, back to the church at Corinth. He says, when I arrived in Corinth... Uh, I was It was in fear uh, and trembling. I was anxious, nervous, uh, no doubt. I mean, he'd just say, been beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. Thessalonica and Berea, he'd been driven out of the towns by an angry mob. But it hadn't been going in one sense so well. But so, well, no doubt he does arrive somewhat nervous. And so I think in verse 9, it's as if he's being recommissioned by Jesus. Now, come on, go again. Verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Three things. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I mean, three things, but synonymous, really. Keep speaking. Uh, And three promises to go along with that. Verse 10, because I'm with you. Secondly, no one's going to attack and harm you. Thirdly, I have many people in this city Now, those three promises, I think you'd have to say one is always true. God said to Paul, I am with you. Now, that is timelessly true. The Lord says to all believers, Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Or Jesus says to his church, uh, Matthew 28, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's always true. The second must be just for Paul and just for Corinth because uh, no one's going to attack and harm you. Well, he has been attacked and harmed. That, he's beaten within inch of his life in Philippi. And when he arrives in Jerusalem, he's beaten up again by a mob. So that must just be for his time in Corinth. Uh, and then you get this third. Keep speaking because, because I have many people in this city. And I want to say, in a sense, that is always true. The Lord tells Paul, keep speaking because there are many people in the city of Corinth who aren't yet Christians, but I have chosen that they will be. But they'll become Christians when you speak to them. So Paul, be encouraged. There are people here who will become Christians. I have appointed them for that when you speak to them. them. The Bible is completely unashamed in asserting that before the creation of the world, God decided who would become Christians. And alongside that, the Scriptures also assert unashamedly that we're responsible for our decisions. So even here, Paul can say, uh, verse 6, you reject Jesus on your own head, be it. That's upon your own head. The Bible can assert both those things. God chose, uh, before the creation of the world, who will become a believer. And it's our responsibility with what we do with the news of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we get a bit head up about that. God is in charge and sovereign, and we're responsible for our decisions. And particularly in the West, if you're from an Eastern culture, it's less of a problem. But in the West, where we place so much emphasis upon individualism and our individual choices, it sort of winds people up, but it's true in lots of different areas, of course. So I could stand here this morning and say, I am free. I am free to make whatever decisions I want, but I'm not really. Because I didn't choose to be a white English male born 40-odd years ago. I didn't choose the village I'd be born in. I didn't choose the school I went to. And therefore, all sorts of assumptions and habits and cultural norms that were sort of instilled into me from a young age. I didn't choose any of those. I didn't choose the family and the values I was born into. I didn't choose my IQ. I didn't choose my sporting ability, my musical ability. I'd have gone from bigger ones, all of them. I didn't get to choose their, any of those. It just It um, is given to me. Now, in one sense, I'm free to make any decision I want. But I'm not free to be always healthy. Sometimes sickness just comes. I don't have that choice. I'm not free to do whatever I want. I'm not free to buy a Caribbean island and set up home in it like a Richard Branson figure. I just don't have the income to have that sort of level of freedom. There are restrictions on me all the time. Now, that's how we go through life. And yet, of course, I'm still responsible for my decisions. And in a greater picture, the Bible can say, yeah, before the creation of the world, God chose you to become a Christian, and you're responsible for your decision. Now, for Paul, this truth is an enormous encouragement. I have people in this city who will become Christians, Paul. you just got to keep on speaking. And so the first time in on his missionary travels, he stays in one place for a long time, 18 months in Corinth. He just keeps on speaking. Now, for you and me, it is still true that God has many people. He's, become, he's chosen to become Christians, and we don't know who they are. I mean, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Just get on with it. He commands you. If you hear last time, Acts 17, he says, get on with it. He commands you to do that. But for the rest of us, we don't know who's going to become a Christian. But the application is you just keep speaking boldly, fearlessly. Speak with boldness. In many ways, that's one of the drum notes of the book of Acts. Whenever the Spirit of God descends in the book of Acts, people speak boldly. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit descends for the first time and the believers speak boldly. It's what happens. Countless times. Even in our reading today, we're told that um, Apollos, the Spirit comes and he speaks boldly in the synagogue, Uh, chapter 18, verse 26. So tell everyone you know about Jesus, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ grows when Christians speak, and here is encouragement that there are people who will become Christians in every city. Let me tell you about a story of two two missionaries yeah, years ago. Really, David Livingstone was the first uh, Westerner to visit large large parts of sub-Saharan Africa in the nineteenth century. He died. Whereas it's uh, so far from any transport system, it took 11 months to bring his body back after he died uh, to uh, be buried in Westminster Abbey. He had um, uh, on his gravestone in Westminster Abbey, it's still there, you can see it, uh, the words of Jesus in John 10. Same truth, the words of Jesus, I have sheep that are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them in also. Jesus saying the same thing as the Lord to Paul here. There are people who will come in, I must do my work of gathering them. Less well known than uh, David Livingstone is Peter Cameron Scott. Thirty-odd uh, years after uh, Livingstone, Peter and his brother David uh, went out to the same part of uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, tragically, the brother died of sickness, and uh, Peter became so sick he had to return to the UK and uh, convalesced for, for months. And uh, as you would do, thought afterwards, what was that? Two brothers went out, one died and one is too sick to do anything for the next year and thought, what am I going to do now? Uh, One day on London, he went into Westminster Abbey, he saw the grave of David Livingstone. Again, those words, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them in also. And uh, in his biography, Peter Scott says... I saw those and committed once again. I had to return to sub-Saharan Africa for I knew the Lord Jesus had his people that he wanted to hear of him. So I had to go and speak even if it cost me my life for there were people who had to hear. So speak fearlessly. Jesus will grow his kingdom as his people Speak fearlessly. There's the third. fourth and briefly, um, uh, Jesus of Grace's kingdom through the ruling of a dubious judge, verses twelve to seventeen. Uh, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. Now, proconsul, you may know your Roman history. Important job uh, in 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 Rome in the Senate. You have two consuls who sort of rule everything. If you're a proconsul, you are ruling a region on behalf of the consuls in Rome. Achaia. Ching, 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 very, very wealthy, very rich uh, area. So to be proconsul of a very wealthy uh, area in the Roman Empire, that's a big job. Okay, important, bigger than a mayor or anything like that. You know, you're, you're the prime minister of the, of the region functionally. Verse 12. While Gallio was proconsul then of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul, and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now, here's a big moment. And Paul's on trial again. And no doubt, you know, as he's on his way to the trial, the little fledgling church in Corinth, they're all having a prayer meeting, saying, oh, Lord, give Paul the right words to say. You know, no doubt he prepares his speech carefully about what he's doing and yet verse fourteen. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, "Oh, you don't need you." Uh, he said, "If you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it'll be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, look, settle this matter yourselves. I'm not interested. I'll not be a judge of such things." Now, this is a massive moment, actually, because here a proconsul, highly important Roman official is setting down case law in the Roman Empire. Roman authorities would not treat Christians as some subversive sect, but would, they'd accept them as part of Judaism, which is a state religion, a state accepted. This is, an, this is like Christianity, is it gonna be allowed to spread? And it's taken up to the Supreme Court and everyone's like, oh, what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen? And it's like, oh yeah, whatever, just keep going. This is a really significant legal decision that's gone in favor of the Christians. It's great. Wonderful. The courts are on the sides of Paul and the Christians. And yet, verse 17, that the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him up in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern, whatever. The crowd, presumably the sort of secular crowd of Corinth, they go for a little bit of casual anti-Semitism. Uh, Gallio is given a ruling, oh, you Jewish law, I don't understand. You just, nah, 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 disputing amongst yourselves. The crowd go for a bit of casual anti-Semitism uh, and beat up the new synagogue ruler who's, who's taken over, and Gallio does nothing. Even though it happens in front of him. And I think Luke's point is, yeah, look, this legal verdict, it goes in favor of Christianity, but don't put your hope in the judges. Because they're fickle. Put your hope in the God who rules over them. Don't think, oh, Gallio, he's a great ally of Christianity because look what he allows here. So put your hope in the Lord Jesus who can use even a fickle, dodgy judge to give you the right verdict. So pray. Put your faith in him. So here in Acts 18, Jesus will grow his kingdom. It'll happen through persecution by the emperor. It'll happen through the ruling of a dubious judge. It'll happen. It will happen. So have confidence. That's Luke's point. Have confidence that this is what Jesus is about. And practically for you and me, be like Paul and speak fearlessly. That is true for you and me today, this week, with friends in our offices. The message will be, speak boldly. Now, caveat, not stupidly. Uh, Paul is not saying, you know, whatever, 11 o'clock on a Monday morning, stand on Stand up in your office and say, right, everyone, turn off your computers and um, uh, shut your laptops and listen to me as I tell you about Jesus. No, you're in work to work. But around the fringes, in conversations when they come up, with friends, with colleagues, speak boldly. It's easy to be slightly cowed by media. Media always pick up on the the sort of slightly crazy stories, you know, Christians sacked for this, and there's always more goes on. Most of the time when that sort of thing happens, in truth, the Christian involved has normally been pretty unwise, normally, in the stories that make the media. They're not normally silly persecution, actually. Normally, they they have been the sort of everyone close your laptop sort of uh, character, simplistic statement. Happily, in the UK, Christians are allowed to speak boldly, fearlessly, at appropriate moments, not when you're on the clock, but you're allowed to do that. And so Paul would say, yeah, speak boldly, speak fearlessly. Be confident that Jesus is growing his kingdom in spite of chaos that so it appears around you, of persecution by emperors, dodgy judges. Just keep, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is as you do so that he grows his kingdom because he has people in our city who he intends to become Christians maybe in your office maybe you don't know that's why we have to speak Jesus will grow his kingdom and he does it as you and I speak Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we Thank you for, uh, once again, uh, an encouragement that Jesus is growing his kingdom. Father, you, you know for all of us here who are Christians, you know what causes us to fear, what causes us to stop speaking of you. And so our simple prayer would be, Lord, would you decrease our fear and increase our boldness, we ask so that we would speak of you and have the joy of seeing before our eyes the Lord Jesus Christ grow his kingdom, one individual at a time. Father, he is about that work, so help us to speak boldly, we pray in his name. Amen.